0: Death has a way, or even the possibility of death, as we think about that, or maybe if you get news that you know, someone that you know has died, as that happened to us uh, just a few weeks ago. A guy, uh, a friend of mine, about my age, uh, was on staff for a while at our sending church there in Macon, and he had a, a pulmonary embolism and died suddenly. And left, unfortunately, his, his wife and kids. Thankfully, he's in heaven. He has the, the promise and the hope of glory. But as we got that news that Jane Quartz had passed away, uh, we were very uh, alarmed. We, we were saddened for the family and for, for the kids for sure and for his wife. But death has a way of grabbing our attention. There's a finality of death that we as humans understand uh, very clearly. And even the possibility of death, uh, death threatening uh, sicknesses or accidents uh, grab our attention. This was, you know, made clear. The next slide shows, who do we see here? Who's that? LeBron James, and who else? Bronny. Okay, I did not know, and this shows a little bit of my ignorance of... Of following, you know, maybe uh, the NBA, but I was not aware until just recently that, that LeBron even had a son. I mean, I, I, you know, I, if I had been asked, I probably would have said, yeah, I think he probably has children, but I had no idea the name. I had no idea, you know, what they did. I uh, certainly didn't know that uh, Bronny James was a recruit for the University of Southern California, but just a few weeks ago, does anybody know what happened to Bronnie James? Heart attack, that's right, he had a heart attack. All the major news outlets covered cover that, CNN, Fox News, CBS, uh, ESPN, uh, Sports Illustrated, I mean, you name it, they had the story about Ronnie James, a freshman recruit, University of Southern California, how he had a heart attack. Now, why does that grab the nation's attention? Because he is a young, strong, promising athlete, and then all of a sudden, all of that could be changed in an instant if the heart attack had been serious enough. Thankfully, he, he recovered. Uh, looks like he may play. There's still discussion. Is he going to redshirt his freshman year or not? But death has a finality of that, and it, it grabs our attention. During the pandemic, we were reminded very clearly, and many of us know people and probably could list several people who uh, passed away during the pandemic, young and old, men and women. And it was it was brought to the forefront of, this is a very real and possible thing, even in our own circles. Last week, when I asked the question, why don't medical professionals show up for work at cemeteries? Somebody wisely said, well, because it's too late. That's right. Death is final. It seems like when that happens, there's really not much that can be done uh, past that. Here in the passage in John chapter 11, we encounter really a passage of death and hope. Those, te- those two don't normally go together. Usually when we think of death, it's like, goodness, that is, that's just sad. And there's really, I mean, what, what can you do after that? But this passage shows death and hope. And it brings Jesus into the picture. Jesus knows this family very well. To, to the family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it seems like final. It seems like, man, there's, there's really not much else that can be done. Jesus, we've already looked at in previous weeks, how He says, "I am the light of the world," and he healed a blind man uh, to even show that in a physical way. He says, "I am the bread of life." And he, he used uh, five loaves and two fishes, to, two fish, to uh, multiply and feed the multitude. So he showed, "Yes, I am the bread of life. But let me ask you this: if, you, if someone is blind, is that normally fatal, just being blind? Not normally. I mean, if they, you know, walk in front of a car or something like that, yes, but normally blindness is not fatal. Hunger initially, now hunger certainly can be fatal, but, you know, if you go a couple days, uh, as the multitude had, had been some time without food, as you experience hunger initially, it's not fatal. But yet here in this passage, we see someone who is deathly sick, who's very ill, very sick. And there's the possibility, and then through the passage, we see that actually he does die. John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we are introduced to the family. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay, so already the introduction, we we can determine... This is a family that Jesus knows well. This is a family who Jesus cares about, and they care about Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 12, the very next chapter, we won't read this today, but you can see more specifically how Mary does anoint the feet of Jesus. In a previous passage, we see Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. Martha's busy, you know, getting everything ready and trying to make sure everything's just right. But this is a family that Jesus has had much contact with and certainly cares about a lot. There's no indication in the passage that Lazarus is an old man. So it, it, it's very possible then it's a, it's a sudden sickness. We don't know what kind of sickness he has. We don't know the symptoms of that. But remember that there's, there's not much as, as far as medical resources like we think today. So, this is a very different time period, and Mary and Martha are doing everything they possibly can to help their brother stay alive. As I ask, let me ask you this how many of you scheduled in the upcoming weeks, you've scheduled a heart attack, an aneurysm, pulmonary embolism, something like a life, you know, a fatal accident? You've already already put that on the schedule, you're getting things in order. Um, you know, your, your will and testament, your trust is ready. Paid upon death is already on your checking accounts. I mean, you've got all this ready, and you said, yeah, pastor, I'm um, enjoying the service today, but it may be one of my last. I've already scheduled one of these life-ending things. Anyone? We don't, we don't normally schedule those things. I mean, you shouldn't schedule those things. We don't think of those things as coming suddenly. But as we see here in John chapter 11, Uh, This is a a very sudden thing that Lazarus is experiencing. Mary and Martha know that Jesus has performed some amazing miracles. In fact, in John chapter 4, we read about an official who came to Jesus and asking him, uh, he, he actually walked 20 miles About the distance that Jesus is away from Mary and Martha at this time. He's on the other side of Jordan. So this man also walked about 20 miles. He found Jesus. He says, listen, my son is is at the point of death. Will you come? Will you heal him? Will you help him? And Jesus doesn't even go. He just says the word. He says, listen, you can go back. Your son's going to be fine. Your son's going to live. He just said the word. He didn't even go back with him. And yes, his son was healed, So as Mary and Martha, as they, as they love Jesus, as they know Jesus, they, they have this, this plan of, well, I mean, Jesus has done these amazing miracles. He just spoke the word, and, and this official son was healed. So we see the fifth I Am statement in John chapter 11, and, and through this passage, there are three groups That Jesus, in, in how he reacts and how he responds, is leading these three groups to a greater belief, a stronger belief. For some of them, it's the very beginning of belief in him and trust in him. For others, like his disciples and like Mary and Martha, it is a strengthening of their belief in him. The Jews who would come later after Lazarus died to console Mary and Martha, some of them believed for the very first time because of what happens in John chapter 11. So let's look, first of all, at the alarming situation in John 11, 1 and 2. We've already seen a certain man was sick. It's Lazarus. Uh, There's a connection here with the family. And the sisters have a plan. We're going to let Jesus know about our brother's sickness. So join me in John chapter 11 now in verse 3 as we see the sisters' request. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. It's interesting the request. There's not a lot of detail. Now, we may not have in Scripture, we may not have all the words that the messenger says. Uh, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. Mary and Martha were wise in doing that. They were proactive in sending a messenger for Jesus, remembering that there's, there's no um, my chart or medical portal that they can sign in and, and go to a specialist and say, hey, you know, listen, our brother's sick. What do we do next? There's no like uh, televideo doctor's visit that they can do. There's no really hospitals as we know today that they can run to. And so there was very limited resources, but yet Jesus is known to have performed many miracles, and they think this is a great plan. Mark chapter 5 even tells us of Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He came to Jesus, fell at his feet, and he pled with him. And we'll see the verse up on the screen, Mark chapter 5, verse 23. It says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Christ immediately began to go with Jairus to see the daughter. Now, as he was on his way, as he was still in the multitude, there were a lot of people around him. You may remember in that same passage in Mark chapter 5, there's a lady who has been bleeding, has had some type of hemorrhaging illness for 12 years. Now think about that for a little, a little bit. Twelve years, the sickness that she's had, she's, she's hemorrhaging, she's bleeding, and, and nothing seems to work. In fact, we read in Mark chapter 5 that she has spent all that she has in trying to find some solution, in trying to find some, someone that can help, some type of remedy to her sickness. But yet she hears that Jesus is, is in town and she hears that Jesus is near. So in the multitude, she in the passage even gives us this commentary, she thinks in her head, if I could just touch him, I'll be healed. And that's exactly what happens. As she reaches out and touches his, his garments, she was immediately healed. Jesus sensed that. Of course, he's all-knowing, so uh, he, she, he sensed that. And as he was talking to her, Messengers come from Jairus' house and says, listen, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter already died. But yet Jesus still went. And for those who were there and were mourning the little girl's death, he said at first, well, she's she's just sleeping. And they're like, no, they mocked him. They said, she's not sleeping. She's dead. But as he raised her from life, then it says that, that Jairus' daughter, which she was twelve years old, immediately got up and began to walk. So these things are, are, are known. Pe- people talk about things like this. It's, we certainly would if this happened in Metro Atlanta. Did you did you hear about? I mean, what happened like over in Alpharetta? Did you hear about what happened in? So these things were known and Mary and Martha had the plan. We're going to let Jesus know and whether he you know, just sends a word back and heals Lazarus or comes back or in some way, this is our hope. I want to show you next picture here. This is about a month's worth of medicine. Some friends of ours uh, foster, and they've adopted many of the foster kids through the years. It's been a really beautiful to see how God has uh, led their family to do this, and uh, they've adopted many of their foster kids, but they still they still do that on a regular basis, foster children. And she posted this picture last week of this medicine. It's about a month's worth of medicine for one of their uh, foster kids. How much do you think this medicine costs? Thirty dollars. $1,000, 30000 1000 do I hear $1,050, 2000 $12,000, $12,000, and Kim and I began to talk about this, we're like, how in the world can pharmaceutical companies sell, me- there's no way in the world that that medicine for a month costs anywhere near $12,000 to make, it's impossible. In fact, in our friend's post, she says, what are these made of, diamonds? I mean, how can you have a medicine that's, that's the amount, I mean, there's not even much in there that's worth $12,000. How can they cost so much? And how can pharmaceutical companies charge so much? You wanna know why? We all know why, because we value life. So if that is what sustains life, then most of us is, we'll do everything that we possibly can, even if it means $12,000 to try to sustain life. Now, I believe in their case, insurance covers and, and the government comes in and helps with foster care and things like that. But just the fact that some people actually pay that amount, I'm sure. And there's other procedures that in, when there's a life-threatening situation that happens, we, we just, we're like, okay, well, we, we're gonna do whatever we have to do. And we see Mary and Martha, Lazarus is seemingly at the point of death. It appears to be a sudden illness. There's no indication he's an old man. But yet they send for Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, the one who you love, he's sick, he's ill. Now notice Christ's response. John chapter 11 verses 4 through 6, first of all, we see that his response pointed to his glory, verse 4 of John 11. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, our natural tendency is not to think of sickness or any other hardship as something that's going to bring glory to God. That's not my natural tendency. In fact, my natural tendency is to think, God if you would just show yourself strong, if you would just show yourself strong and Lord, take me out of this or take take this away from me and I'll give you all the praise, I'll give you all the glory, I'll tell everybody that I can of what you've done. God, show yourself strong and Lord, may this just be taken from me or Lord, just, just heal me or whatever the hardship is. But Christ says, he points to his glory by first of all saying, this sickness is for the glory of God. Now, you may remember when we looked at I am the light of the world and he healed the blind man. you remember the, the disciples' question? The disciples came to Jesus and said, so who sinned in this case? Was it the man or the parents that he's blind? And so I think partly for the benefit of his disciples, Jesus is saying very clearly, as the messenger has just told him, come, he's come from Mary and, and Martha, about 20 miles, and he, he's, he's walked the distance and he says, Jesus, the one who you love, is ill and partly for the disciples' benefit, I think he he says, listen, this sickness is not to death, but it's for the glory of God. There are quite a few people actually who would immediately benefit from this instruction. One, I've already mentioned the disciples. It's very likely that the messenger then would go back the 20 miles, and it probably would take about a day if he was in shape and was walking without a whole lot of breaks, so a day to get to Jesus, give the message, a day to get back to Mary and Martha, and it's very likely that he went back to give Mary and Martha some satisfaction. And as he would share this message, this was also beneficial to Mary and Martha in pointing them and their thoughts and their mind and their focus to this ultimately will bring glory to God. Later, the Jews who would come to console Mary and Martha would most likely, as they sat with them and, and, and heard part of the story, most likely Mary and Martha would say, listen, we sent a messenger to Jesus and we really thought that Jesus would come, but this is what Jesus sent back and said. So even some of the Jews would hear the same message that this is for God's glory. Even in the passage, you don't, you don't see a lot of discourse or really any discourse from Lazarus. So this passage is not primarily, although Lazarus is a key figure in raising him to life for sure, but Lazarus isn't even the focal point of this. God is bringing glory to himself and he, he says time and time again, I want you to believe, I want you to believe, I want you to see that these things are for the glory of God. Now, far beyond the initial audience, we're part of the millions that have read this same passage. It's a good reminder to us that as we face hardships, as we face sickness, as we face things that that maybe we expect and we, we, we hope that Jesus will do, you know, this or this. But as Christ responds and reminds us through his word and even through passages like this, it's for my glory. Christ's response was motivated by his love. John chapter 11 and verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there's already several occasions that I've mentioned that show that Jesus has a connection with this family. And as you and I respond, or as you and I seek the Lord and we ask for God's help and we look to him, Be confident, just like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as we'll see throughout this whole passage and narrative, Jesus will respond to us according to his love. We may not always understand it. We may not always be able to put the pieces together, but we know for a fact that he will respond in love. John chapter 15, a few chapters later, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, and really the truth extends to all of us. He says, I've loved you and there, there's no greater love than to lay down a life, you know, your life for your friend. And I have called you my friends. I don't call you servants, but I call you my friends. And my friends do what I have commanded them. Each person could write on your paper, I am a friend of Jesus. You could do that. And it would be truthful. So just like Mary and Martha and Lazarus who have this deep connection and Jesus knows them well and has been in their house and Mary ends up, you know, anointing Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes the feet with her, with her hair, all this special connection, you and I have the same privilege. They, they had no better standing than we do. And so as we come to Christ and as we pour out our heart and as we come and make our request, we can know for sure. Yes, Christ is going to respond for his glory. But secondly, he's going to respond because of his love for us. Christ responded it was motivated by love. And then thirdly, Christ's response was meant to move others toward deeper belief. It was meant to move others towards deeper re- belief. John eleven six. 6. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he went immediately to Bethany. Is that what the passage says? God, Pastor David, I'm not sure what version you're reading out of, but (laughs) that's not what it says. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, if you're hearing this passage for the first time, you were probably surprised by this sequence of events after hearing how much Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, how much time he had spent with them in, on different occasions, you, like me, if reading this for the very first time, you're, you probably would have guessed, okay, I mean, goodness, in these other instances, Jesus either spoke the word and healed somebody, or he went immediately to help. But here he doesn't. But yet it says he loves them. But he stayed two, two more days. We had a group of 36 volunteers come down to Brazil years ago. And after a long day in the heat, one of the ladies, she was a a, a diabetic. She had an insulin pump. She was unaware that her insulin was running out, that her insulin pump was running out of medicine. After a long day in the heat of Brazil, doing some work projects, we were back in the church building late that night. And all of a sudden, this lady began to have a seizure. And I I was there. I can remember it to this day. She began to have a seizure, and her face began to turn blue. Her tongue began to go back in her mouth, and we, we started to scurry around and go, okay, you know, what can we do? How can we help? It, you know, can we get more medicine for her? How do we help this lady? And somebody said, well, Mad is a nurse. She was a Brazilian lady in the church. Mata's is a nurse. She lives a few blocks away. Somebody go and get her to see if she can help in this situation. So I immediately jumped in the car, squealed my tires, and drove to her house. Took somebody with me to make sure that we were going to the right house. Knocked on the door, clapped hands, which is what you do in Brazil a lot of times to call their attention. We're really clapping hands. Later at night, the husband comes, Ithian, who comes to the door. He's like, "What? What? What?" I said, "Listen, we have a medical emergency at the church. This lady has a seizure, blue. You know." Blah. He's like, okay, all right, let me, let me go wake my wife. She's had crazy hours. She's, she's deep in sleep, but, but let me go wake her up. I'm like, okay, great. She's going to come with us. And he goes in the room and he, he tries to rouse her. She must have been a very heavy sleeper because he comes back and he says, Pastor, I, I, I can't wake her. I just, she won't wake up. I'm like, try again. I mean, this, this lady's like blue in the face. I mean, we need her. It's like okay, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I'll try again, but I I, I can't promise that that I'm going to be able to. My like, good night. So knowing that time is of essence, I think okay. Well, if you can come, come quickly. And I I he had a car, and so I drove back. But I was disappointed, and and honestly, I was a little bit angry. Like how can she not wake up? Did she not hear that this lady is blue in the face and having a seizure? But thankfully, shortly after I pulled back up at the church, I hear a car coming right behind me, and it's the two of them. and And Maude is like, her hair is crazy, and she's like, "Okay, what, 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 where, who?" I said this is the lady. And thankfully, she was able to help, and the lady recovered from the seizure, and she was able to even finish the trip. But that there that night, I I, I didn't just look at Adron when he said, "Yeah, I'm just having a hard time waking her up." I didn't go, "Oh, okay, listen, sorry to bother, have a good night." Hope she sleeps well. No, I'm like, th- this is serious. You need to wake her up. And imagine the messenger, when he goes to, to talk to Jesus, it's possible that as Jesus said, you know, responded and, and, and said, you know, sickness is not uh, for death. The illness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. And then as he resumes teaching, the messenger, if I were him, I would have been like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, Jesus, this guy's sick. I mean, I, I just came from there. He's, he's really sick. I mean, it's possible, again, and I, I'm not trying to just embellish the story, but it's very possible. If this is a sudden sickness, some of you who have been around those in their last points of life, sometimes it can be, it can be very, very gruesome. I mean, vomiting and high fever and trying to do all you can to comfort and just keep them alive and, and perhaps... The messenger's like, he's thinking all this, but there's no record that he says anything. Jesus gives the answer, and this is what happens. He stays two more days, but ultimately his delay would bring more gl- glory to God in the end. As he delayed, he knew exactly what he was doing, and it wasn't out of lack of love. In fact, it was because he loved Mary and Martha so much, and his disciples so much, and the Jews So much that he's decided, I'll wait. I'm not going to go yet. I want to look at the initial reactions. Let's look at the disciples. They had a limited understanding of his love because notice what they say in John chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he's already waited two days. He's continued to teach. But then after the two days, he tells his disciples, all right. Let us go back to Judea, which is where Bethany is located, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home was located. John eleven eight. 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Now, in John chapter 10, just the chapter before, Jesus has very clearly taught, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. Those who are hired, they run, they flee, they're fearful, but not the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The disciples have seemingly forgot that already, that he made that statement, And he's saying, I am the good shepherd. But they have not forgot that there are Jews in that area who were trying to stone him because he said in the Jews' mind, the unbelieving Jews' mind, he said some blasphemous statements. That Jesus was claiming to be the great I am. That Jesus was even saying, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. In fact, four times through the book of John, we see the Jews again and again and again and again, four times wanting to stone Jesus. And the disciples bring that back to his memory. Hey, Jesus... We need to stone you back there. Are you sure about that? Do you want to reconsider? They had a limited understanding of his love, but they also had a limited understanding of his power. Notice verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, Jesus wasn't mistaken here. We're going to see in the passage a little bit later that Jesus knew very well that Lazarus... um, had already died, in fact. Because since there was about a 20-mile distance, when Mary and Martha sent the messenger, it would take him a full day to get to Jesus and to deliver the message. Jesus waited two days. Then he left. It would take him about a day to to walk to Bethany. And once he gets there, he says, Mary and Martha say, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, meaning that Lazarus had died the same day that the messenger had even arrived to to tell Jesus in the first place. So Jesus knew full well. He knew that Lazarus was dead. But yet he says, hey, he's, he's asleep, and I'm gonna go and wake him notice verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 11. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So you can imagine some of the disciples as Jesus says this, the disciples were like, oh, phew. Good. I mean, they're trying to stone him back there. He's wanting to go, you know, twenty miles and and visit his friend, but he's he's falling asleep. He's resting. He's sleeping. Great, Jesus. He's doing okay. He's going to recover. But then, very bluntly, John chapter eleven verses fourteen and six through sixteen, it says, "Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died." Okay, disciples. I was speaking of sleeping, but just, you know, as a metaphor, Lazarus, he's dead. He has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may, notice this theme again and again, may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin. Some versions have Didymus, which is just uh, the, the, the Greek for twin. Thomas means twin in Aramaic, and Didymus means twin in Greek. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may what? Ah, we may die with him. Jesus is determined to go back. They're ready to stone him. They've already they've already talked about it and, and shown their, their intent four times. But if Jesus is intent on going back, let us go and die with him. No, I think Thomas deserves a little bit of praise here. Normally we think of Thomas as who Thomas or as what Thomas? touting Thomas but Thomas says here I mean he probably most of the disciples were thinking this and Thomas just comes out and says it okay all right let's go let's let's die with him I mean if he's gonna go let's go ahead and go with Jesus and die with him they didn't quite understand his love in the sense that Jesus was ready to go and face potential stoning. He was ready to go and face danger. Of course, he knew that it wasn't his moment, but he was, he wasn't fearful of what could happen to him. They didn't understand his love, but then they didn't fully understand his power because even in the even in the context of that, he decides, no, we are going to go. And the disciples, okay, well, I mean, if we go, that's it for us. We're just going to go and die. As, as Jesus was very blunt with them, I, I'm reminded of a time when I was a kid. I was probably eight, nine years old. We were in Atlanta. Dad pastored a church in Forest Park, Georgia, Forest Park, Morrow area. And there was an older gentleman that had been in the hospital. His wife, uh, Mrs. Stokes, I believe, I don't know if you remember, had made wonderful chocolate eclairs. You can tell as a kid, you know, what made a huge impact on me. It was like, this this is the eclair lady, okay? So she made awesome chocolate-covered eclairs, and we we loved them. But Mr. Stokes was in the hospital. Somebody called our house. Um, For those of you college students and younger, it was actually a home phone. I mean, there's like a cord connected to the wall. I answered the phone, and I said, hello, yes, um, this is so-and-so, and just calling to you know, ask your, your parents about, you know, Mr. Stokes and how he's doing. Well, I knew just by hearing things that had been said in the house, I knew that he had already died. So as a kid, I just bluntly said, he's dead. And my parents were like, David, give me the phone. <laughs> give me the phone. What, what are you talking about? They asked about how Mr. Stokes was. I just told him he's dead. I mean, that, he's dead, right? But Jesus had to be very blunt with the disciples. No, okay, he's not sleeping. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and wake him up. Because to Jesus, death is no different than sleeping. Jesus, who has the power of resurrection, who has the power of life, whether Lazarus is, is dead, dead, or sleeping, it's, none, it's no difference to him. There's no like, oh, goodness, man, he's, he's dead. To medical doctors, there is. If somebody's sleeping, if they're in a coma, there's still hope. There's still a chance. If they flatlined and they've been dead for a couple days, it, it's funeral time. I mean, there's nothing else that can be done. But Jesus very bluntly said, he's dead. The disciples don't understand his love. They don't understand his power. Now, notice the sisters. What's their initial reaction? I, I really believe they waited with great expectation I think as Mary and Martha sent this message to Jesus, I believe they had great expectation of what Jesus could do. They may have waited with this anticipation and, and kind of calculated in their minds, okay, you know, so-and-so, and I, I don't know what the guy's name, who was the messenger, let's just call him, uh, let's call him Bubba. Okay, so, you know, Bubba went, and he's, he's taking the message to Jesus. Probably about now, he should be getting to Jesus 20 miles away. It's on the other side of Jordan. The Bible tells us that he was in uh, where John the Baptist had been baptizing and that's how we can know the distance. So they may have been thinking, okay, it's probably about right now that he has, has come into the area and has just found Jesus. So Lazarus, any moment in Jesus may just say the word. Mary, Martin, you know, they're probably saying to each other, just Let's try a little bit longer. Let's hang in there a little bit longer. And then Lazarus dies. He had great expectation. But then perhaps they thought, okay, well, you know, we know that Jesus has raised others back to life. And Jesus may be coming back with a messenger. And so they wait with anticipation once again. And they wait another, you know, another day. And as they are waiting and hoping that, okay, once the messenger comes back, he certainly is going to come back with Jesus. And then he doesn't. Then the messenger comes back and they say, well, what, what did Jesus say? And, Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus said that this illness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. Okay. And, and then what else? I mean, what else did he say? Did he give any instructions? Did he say, did he have like any, any other phrase? Or That's the message. <laughs> this, this illness is not unto death. I mean, Lazarus, He's dead. Then Jesus finally shows up They had this great expectation. They felt disappointed and confused, but then as Jesus shows up, they began to question. Begin to question. Christ finally comes into the area. In John eleven four, 4, we see, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it didn't understand that, they couldn't f- quite figure out how does this fit into what we are seeing. The messenger may even have told them, listen, that's what he said, and in fact, he continued to teach. I mean, he, he just stayed there in the area. But now he's, he's finally come, John chapter 10, verse 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. So that's, that's how we know where he, where he was And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. This is John chapter 10, 40 through 42. And many believed in him there. So we know that this is where Jesus has come from. Now let's look at John 11, verses 17 through 21. And there is a very revealing conversation that Jesus has with Martha and Mary. We're going to focus on the conversation with Martha. And we see that she's plagued by the past. She already begins to to question, and the past has already become a huge obstacle for what she thought she knew about Jesus, and what seemed to be happening, and how those two matched, she couldn't quite figure out. John chapter 11, verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, that's why the disciples were so fearful that We're going to be mighty close to Jerusalem, Jesus. And that's where they were wanting to stone you, but yet you're ready to go back. All right, we'll go and die. So he's he's near Jerusalem. He's in the city of Bethany. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I I don't think Martha was necessarily accusing Jesus. I honestly think she was grieving and she she was confused and she was maybe hurt a little bit. I, I don't think she was accusing. But we see a little bit of Martha's personality come out here. Martha is a doer by nature. In fact, when we see Mary and Martha in, in an earlier passage, Mary's the one that's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And Martha's busy. I mean, she's getting this ready and getting the silverware out and putting the plates down. And she's trying to get the stuff, you know, the, the, the laundry that's been out to dry. And she's getting these, these things. And at one point, she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, can you tell Mary to help me? And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the best thing, actually, Martha. So, I mean, this is part of Martha's nature. She's a doer. The same thing is true here. I mean, Lazarus has died, and she hears that Jesus is on the way. Jesus hasn't even made it to their house, and Martha's like, I'm going to go meet him. It's the first one to talk to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Later in the passage, when Jesus actually makes it to the tomb, and Jesus says, you know, take the stone away, who's the one that speaks up first? Martha. No, 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 hey, What? Jesus, four days, it's going to smell really bad. So Martha's a doer here, but she's come to, to, to an obstacle to a door here where there's nothing else that she can do that will change anything. And I believe in God's love. He's allowed her to get to this place. She's probably been busy. She's a, she runs out, but yet there's nothing else she can do. She can't bring Lazarus back to life. In her mind, she doesn't think that Jesus is going to bring him back to life. There was great hope that Jesus would heal him, but she doesn't seem to have a whole lot of hope that he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. And she's plagued by the past, there's nothing else that she can do. You and I often face things where we know in our head things about Jesus. We, we know the promises. We know truths. Others may wisely remind us of some of those truths. But then as life happens, it doesn't always make sense. And we begin to, to have this inward struggle of, I know this about Jesus and I've read this in the Bible and I've learned these verses and I've been reminded of these truths. I sing about these things when I gather with my church family. But yet this has happened. How do the how does what happened in my past? How does how does this experience? How does this obstacle match up with Jesus? Now for unbelievers it's even more difficult, obviously. Time and time again through the years, as I've talked with unbelievers and tried to share with them about the love of Christ and his purpose for their life and his, uh, the, the offer of redemption, of salvation by grace, time and time again, I've heard unbelievers say, but David, answer me this. If there is a God, and the God that you, t- you, you describe, and a Jesus that is all-powerful, and a Jesus that is all-loving, and a Jesus that cares about every single individual in the world, why all the suffering why all the suffering? why do kids die of hunger around the world? Why are kids and innocent people, women, and others alike abused sexually every day of of the world? Why does that happen? If God is God, then then and oftentimes they look back to the past, and those past things become obstacles of how do we match up? How can uh, you know, somebody that's exploring and thinking about Christ, how does that which happened in the past match up to what the Bible and what we as believers are saying about Christ it becomes an obstacle. As believers, we're tempted to think some of the same things, not necessarily that we're going to abandon God, but we do oftentimes begin to think, you know, if the Lord had really wanted to, He could have healed my child. If the Lord had really wanted to, he could have opened that door or opened that door. If the Lord had really wanted to, he could have kept our marriage together. If the Lord had really wanted to, he could have helped restore that relationship. If the Lord had really wanted to, I wouldn't have lost my job. I wouldn't be going bankrupt right now. And that's where we're plagued by the past. We begin to have this inward struggle of, man, I know these things about Jesus, but they don't seem to match up with what's happening. I want to finish with John chapter 11 and verse 25, part one. Now, thankfully, we're going to see a whole lot more next week of all that God does. But I want, I want there to be one main takeaway today, and this is in John chapter 11 and verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And so as we interact with unbelievers who question, you know, how can all of this be true? We can say, listen, Jesus Christ is life for you. Present, current, now. If you continue to look at the past and you continue to allow those those chains of past experiences and hurts and things that go on in the world to continue to be an obstacle, you will fail to see the truth and the beauty that Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am here for you now. I can help you with what you're facing right now. Same for unbelievers. Now, for believers as we know that Jesus Christ is God, as we believe in him and we look forward, and we're gonna see this even next week more uh, specifically, as we look forward to the hope of eternity, sometimes we're, we're plagued by the past and we look to the future, but our present circumstances, we think that, man, there's not a whole lot that God can do now. But Jesus reminds Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. I wanna meet you right where you're at right now and I can help you, I can encourage you on the resurrection and the life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?